With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is Lewis of Boxing Social in association with Empire Fightstall and Forged Irish Stout. Would no, no man I want to be better to be joined with after that than Dan Brayfield. We've just seen, I mean, Anthony Joshua stop Otto, Otto Ballin and Joseph Park have a shutout win against Deontay Wilder, as well as, you know, many, many entertaining fights on the undercard. Um, those, well, firstly, as you look back on that whole card, uh, instant reaction, very pleased with sort of how it all went together. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought, you know, there's always going to be certain fights that are, you know, looks like a mismatch here or there. But I mean, for eight fights in total, uh, I started watching the show, you know, when it started 11 o'clock in the morning, my time here in uh, the East Coast of the United States and, you know, watched all the way through. And it was uh, it was a fun show. I enjoyed it. There were some good knockouts, some good performances. Uh, you know, obviously the main event was a great performance from Joshua, you know, an upset and, you know, I guess a disappointment, not 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 because I'm anti Joe Parker or anything like that. I rather like Joe. Glad he, you know, he, he got a great victory for himself. It, it, uh, it of course, at least for the time being, ruined the prospect again of uh, a Joshua versus Wilder fight. But you saw other tremendous performances, whether it was you know, Ajit Kabiel with a knockout, kind of an upset, a great one one punch knockout from Ajay Opataya. Uh, you know, who remains the uh, lineal cruiserweight champion, even if the uh, IBF decided that it was uh, a fight that they wouldn't sanction for reasons that are absurd. Uh, but all in all, in my mind, here in the United States, the fight was, uh, the card was thirty nine ninety nine on pay-per-view. And compared to the typical 70 to $85 pay-per-views that we typically, that's uh, uh, how they're typically priced, this was a, a great value, I felt like. I got value for my money. I was happy with it. Absolutely, definitely. And we'll jump straight into it. Um, I suppose the first talking point would be Deontay Wilder losing to Joseph Parker. Um, as I said, a shutout win for Joseph Parker. I think you sort of could give him every single round there. Um, if not Deontay, maybe edging one. Um, what did you make of that whole fight? I gave Joe Parker all 12 rounds. I didn't think any of the rounds were all that close. There was a couple of rounds in there where Joseph Parker uh, had Deontay Wilder reeling a little bit, backed into the ropes. He hurt him a few times. Uh, you know, had a couple of very, very obvious and big rounds. And the biggest problem with Deontay Wilder, I mean, look, I mean, I've covered Deontay's entire career. We all know what's going on. He's looking for the right hand. But at some point when you can't find the right hand, you have to be having 
the ability to do other things. He didn't use his jab. You know, he's never really been a guy that used his hook too much. Uh, and he just never had the, the uh, I, you know, he just never had the idea to go and try something different. You know, there was really no urgency in his corner, it didn't seem like to me. And, you know, he's rescued fights before with the hook, you know, or rather, I'm sorry, with the right hand. Uh, Luis Ortiz, too, for example. I was at that fight. He lost every round, and then he landed the bomb. And that's sort of what Deontay uh, has become in recent years. Uh, that, but it's not going to always work. And Parker was in great shape. Parker was uh, sharp because he's been active. This was, what, his fourth fight of the year. Uh, even if he wasn't fighting top-level opponents in those other three fights, he was getting in the ring and doing the training camps. And uh, I've always had massive respect for Andy Lee, who uh, I covered as a prof- you know from day one of his professional career through his retirement. And now he's, he's becoming... Uh, one of the top trainers in boxing, following in the footsteps of uh, of, of my long uh, dear departed friend and his great mentor, uh, the great Emmanuel Stewart, and uh, they got a good team over there. And obviously Tyson Fury was in that camp helping Joe out, as he talked about after the fight. So uh, the upset didn't shock me, but what shocked me was that just how how befuddled and just completely uh, with no ability to do anything was how Deontay fought. It just was a real shock. I don't know if. Uh, it's the layoff. I don't know if it's he's 38 now. If he's, you know, his Hellenius fight notwithstanding, he's had, you know, two, two very brutal, hard, rough, tough knockout losses to Fury. You know, at 38, you know, you're not a young man anymore. And he's had some hard fights. One thing I did want to touch on there um, was the game plan and the, the corner work from Malik Scott and Deontay Wilder, as it seemed a shout out for Joseph Parker. And it really seemed that there was no urgency to sort of try anything different for Deontay Wilder. We know that the game plan is always to find the right hand, but just intrigued to so see what you thought of the work in the corner and the game plan coming out from Deontay Wilder, where, as I said, there wasn't really much plan B. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the what the game plan was. I don't, I, mean, I don't know if there was anything other than let's find a right hand because he didn't jab very well, like I mentioned. He doesn't use his hook, and there wasn't a lot of urgency. I mean, it's one thing. I mean, when you when you're with Deontay Wilder and he's losing round after round after round and you're through, say, four or five rounds, you're still at that point, I don't even think you're that worried. You know, now you get into like seven, eight, nine, you're like, okay, now you got to start to worry a little bit because Parker has banked a million rounds, and it will get to a point. Now, Joe didn't do this, but there are fighters that could find a way to keep away for the last few rounds and not really do anything and not engage and not put themselves in any harm's way. And I thought that when the 12th round came around and he's sitting on the stool getting ready to go out for the final round, and you got Malik there, and, you know, he's – telling him instructions, you know, go, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. But there was no, like, you know, we need a, you got it. Well, you know, I mean, look, JD's who's now the, was the longtime head trainer now was like the assistant or the, the, the uh, co-trainer, however you want to describe him. He's been around Deontay his entire career. Malik has been around him for many years. Malik is a former professional fighter. Like they know that he's losing the fight. When you're in the 12th round and you got the gigantic fight with Joshua on the table, Signed, by the yeah. way. Yeah, you got to tell your man you need a knockout. You you can't you can't mess around and 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 say it in code. You got to tell him the real deal, and they didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. And as as we said there about Wilder and what could be next, what could be next for him? Um, do you feel like and this could be the last time we saw Deontay Wilder in the ring uh, with that performance being sort of a shadow of, of the ones that we saw pre pre Tyson Fury? I mean, you never know. And he sort of uh, when asked that sort of question in the ring afterwards. You know, talked about I'll be back, but then when asked about if he still had the fire to do it, you know, he says, you know, if if this is the last time, 
you know, I had a great, I forget how he said it, but uh, you know, he's, he's happy with his life. Uh, you know, obviously he's made a tremendous amount of money. You know, he was, you know, ha held a heavyweight title for five years. He made 10 title defenses, which is a lot of title defenses, more than most people that win heavyweight championships. Uh, you know, he has nothing to be ashamed of. He gave us some huge fights and some great entertainment and some massive knockouts. And you know, if this is it for him at his age and, uh, and there's not nothing else that, he, no mountain he wants to still try to climb and he wants to retire, you know, good for him. I, I, I applaud because I'd rather see him get out now, you know, with his faculties intact and a big fat bank account then hang on and uh, and become a stepping stone for somebody. Uh, that's going to be up for him and his family to decide over the next, you know, I guess, few months. Uh, I, I'd be a little surprised if he didn't fight again. Yeah. Uh, but you, does, you just never know what the, what's going to happen when these guys uh, finish up and they have a chance to really reflect and think. And in the ring, you know, a couple of minutes yeah. after that is not really the time to make a full assessment. Definitely. Absolutely. And before we touch on Anthony Joshua, um, this, when we knew after, if he beat Parker, we knew the logical step could be the Anthony Joshua fight. Yourself, you reported on um, the two-fight deal being signed. Eddie Hearn denied that and said that uh, that wasn't true. Um, so now what sort of happens now that got sort of, the, the script has been wrote, wrote, uh, sort of thrown in the, in the fire? Well, what I reported was that the deal was agreed to yeah. pending them not losing yeah. and that the contracts were with both camps. And they were expected to be signed prior to them entering the ring on Saturday. And Eddie went on his social media and told various outlets, didn't, didn't have the balls to call me and tell me or text me or contact me in some way. It's not like he doesn't know how to get a hold of me. Uh, I talked to, you know, I've got Eddie's number. He's got mine. No big deal there. But basically said that it wasn't done and that, that I, you know, and the inference was I'm lying or that I have misreported what was accurate. He stood in the ring with Chris Mannix in the post-fight interview on DAZN's pay-per-view and said, yes, we had signed for the fight. So I stand by my reporting a thousand percent that it was accurate, that my source was accurate, and that they had not only agreed to the fight, but they had actually signed the contracts for that fight. Uh, now that won't happen, at least not next. I mean, you never say never that it could never happen in the future. Obviously, the days grow shorter as the years go on of when these guys would... Yeah. Uh, be able to do the fight and when the public would still be interested in the fight. But with, with the loss, you know, we'll see what Deontay decides to do. And uh, so you want to know what's jo what's Joshua going to do? Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the reasons why this fight, a lot of people question, why is Anthony Joshua fighting Otto Valine? Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the, the talking point was, and I, I sort of understood this and sort of uh, believed in it to some degree that Anthony Joshua at his level of fame and fortune can pick anybody and that, you know, a top heavyweight contender to fight and they'll make a deal with no problem. It seems to me, you know, except for the, you know, the problems that have been making a wilder fight or making a fury fight, but those are the guys that are on sort of similar equal levels as he and Otto Valine and is, you know, lots of other guys are in the same kind of boat. He could have picked anybody, but they're like, well, why is he fighting him? Cause he's a lefty. He's a Southpaw. And, and, and he's had troubles with, with lefties. Uh, just look at the Usyk fights. The reason was because back a few months ago, in, in Otto's previous match, he defeated Murat Gassiev. That was an IBF elimination fight for the number two position. And Anthony's already highly ranked in the IBF. Number one, of course, is Hild Hergovic, who was already the mandatory. He won yeah. on tonight's undercard. And the idea was, yes, the, the Wilder fight was not 100% made at that time when this was all being discussed and the show was being put together. And so I know Joshua wants to fight for another title. Uh, it's a it, it's a piece of a legacy. It's a it's it gives you leverage for making other fights and for money and things along those lines. And so the plan was, I think, was I'll fight Otto because when I beat him, 
I will take over that next highest spot in the IBF rankings. And when Tyson Fury has his fight with Alexander Usyk, and when that fight is over, everybody knows they have a two-fight deal. The IBF has already yeah. mandated that they have to either fight Hergovich or be stripped. So what's going to happen? They're going to they're gonna be stripped of the title or vacate the title of the IBF. So after their first fight, that will become vacant. Hergovich will be the guy to fight the next available contender. And now who will be that next available contender? It will be Anthony Joshua. So it's not by no means a done deal. And other yeah. things may materialize or come to pass. I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe Anthony Joshua fights Francis Nagano or something crazy <laughs> like that. But in his back pocket, if he wants it, there's a very strong possibility that we will see Anthony Joshua against Philip Hergovich for the vacant IBF heavyweight title. You just mentioned Ngannou there. Before we touch on the Joshua performance against Wallin, he tweeted about, you know, he's licking his lips, seeing the the, uh, the talent tonight and what was on store. Um, do you feel like we could potentially see him back in the heavyweight mix against sort of potentially someone like an AJ or Joseph Parker or, you know, a top 10 heavyweight? Absolutely. Why not? I mean, he, he made a, a big impression with his performance against Tyson Fury. Uh, based on that and other factors, the the uh, WBC went to their convention, and when they do all their various rankings and mandatories in the organizations, or rather in the weight classes, uh, he was, you know, put into the top, you know, I think number ten in the heavyweight division, which makes him eligible to fight uh, for a title. I mean, you can't tell me that people wouldn't be intrigued to see Francis Ngannou against Anthony Joshua, you know, after having seen how he handled himself with Tyson Fury. I mean, I think most people would acknowledge, and, and this is not in any way a disrespect to Joshua. But Fury is a more complicated fighter. I think that's fair to say. He's taller. He's longer. He's heavier. He's a little quicker, probably. You know, he also has the depth of power. Uh, you know, a lot of things that make him different than a Joshua, who is, when I say this, I don't mean it badly. He's basic, but he, he's really good at basic. But you can go to school on that. It's a jab. It's a right hand. It's not anything different. But Fury is a different ballgame. So my point here is this. If he was able to do what he did with Fury, he probably thinks that I can have similar or better success against a fighter that's not going to throw me as many wrinkles as a Tyson Fury is capable of doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll just touch on the AJ performance now. Um, I think post-Usyk, many would agree that that's probably his most destructive and convincing display. Um, what did you make of the, the performance from AJ out there uh, stopping Otto Bamman in five rounds? Listen, I thought he looked terrific. I mean, I thought that was, uh, if you're an AJ fan, if you're in the AJ camp and you want to see him go on to do bigger and better things uh, you know, in the future, I think you have to be very, very pleased and very excited and uh, and super happy with that performance. There was nothing in there that I saw that he didn't do uh, or that he did wrong or put himself in kind of a, in a bad spot or got touched up or anything like that. He went in there and he mowed down, you know, uh, again, I don't want to make Otto Valiant sound like, you know, he's the next coming of Muhammad Ali or anything like that, but he's a good quality, solid heavyweight in today's era. He may not be, if you were making your top 10, I'm not sure he necessarily inches into the top 10, but he's probably like in the top dozen, 13, 14. But he's a solid guy. He gave Tyson Fury probably the toughest fight of his career other than uh, Deontay Wilder in their first and third fights. Uh, you know, he's a solid heavyweight, you know, and he's familiar with Joshua because they had fought as amateurs. They had sparred together. And uh, he's also been busy. You know, he's won six fights in a row or had won six fights in a row since uh, he was defeated by Fury in that uh, very competitive fight. So he had every reason to be confident. And if you didn't know all that history that I just outlined, Joshua went in there and just blew him away, basically. Yeah. It was never in the fight. I mean, he busted open his nose, uh, had the, had the, 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 well, it looked like his nose was broken, had a cut on his nose, uh, you know, had, had his face was marked up. He was getting tagged with right hands. And, and, and there was never really anything of real serious danger coming back. It didn't seem like, and Otto's really not the biggest puncher to begin with based on, uh, what you see from other heavyweights. And so, you know, I thought that was, a. Uh, 
a superb performance from Joshua. You know, it was good for him to have the three fights this year. He was freed from mandatories and from the bullshit that goes on with the sanctioning bodies. He was just able to focus on what he was doing. Uh, some people question, you know, he's changing trainers again because he was working yeah. with Ben Davison for this fight instead of, you know, because it kind of came on short notice. So rather than pack up and go back to Texas, you know, for a few weeks with uh, Derek James, he opted to stay in, in the UK where he had worked informally, I guess, for a little while, just as a, you know, being in the gym to stay in shape with Ben and decided to go from there. And, you know, he did a great job, uh, Joshua, in the fight. And I'm sure, you know, you had to be pleased with what, what Ben brought to the table and we'll see what happens in the future. It's going to be interesting to me. Does he yeah. decide to stay with Ben or does he decide to go back to, to, to Derek, who by all accounts, there's still a good relationship. It wasn't like he fired him. This was more of like a logistical thing than a, than a, than a training thing. But yeah. all I know is that Anthony Joshua looked good. And anytime you have a big superstar heavy like, heavyweight like that, who comes off a big win, it's good for obviously him, but as, as a business, as a sport for the fans, just for the whole division and all that, it's a great thing. And it would have been obviously better had Wilder won, but how can you not be happy? Joseph Parker's, you know, uh, a nice guy also. How could you not be happy to see him get a career best victory? I mean, he's he's right when when he was asked. I think this was, you know, he won the title, the WBO title against Andy Ruiz. And so obviously you win a world title. That's a big deal. But in terms of you look at down the roster of the fights he's had in his career, uh, this was not for a title, but this will go down as his biggest win without question. I did just want to touch on the trainer situation there. Um, obviously, pre so since leaving Robert Kraken, he's had Robert Garcia, um, Derek James, and Ben Davison. This being his most dominant display so far, do you feel like sort of? Did you feel like that that could prove anything? We talked about you talked about there um, him sort of since Derek James. He's had the the Franklin fight and the Hellenius fight, but both sort of a bit subpar performances. His best performance has been with Ben Davison. Do you feel like that could prove anything? I think there's two ways to look at it. On the one hand, some people would might give Ben a lot of credit and say he should stick with Ben because of how he looked in the fight against uh, against uh, you know against Otto in, in this just most recent bout. But I think there's also a school of thought that could say it took time to get your confidence back, to go to school on some things after you lost two fights in a row, and that Derek was able to kind of put him back together to a degree. And this was the payoff. And it's I, I mean I know that the Brits aren't necessarily into like American yeah. baseball. I don't think I was thinking it's sort of like. <laughs> you're the starting pitcher, you know, you pitch deep into the fight, you do a really good job. And then the guy comes in at the end and gets the save that, yeah. that Derek was the starter and Ben was the closer. And in baseball, you need both to have a successful, uh, you know, championship season. You know, you got your starting pitcher, you got your closer. And I kind of thought about it in that respect, that, that they both deserve credit because the things that Joshua did in today's fight, I'm sure are certain things. And he talked about this in the buildup when uh, he did interviews and talked to a lot of the media guys was that he's not just like forgetting the things that he's learned over the last you know year or so working with Derek. He's taking things that he, that he worked on and that he spent countless hours in that hot gym in Texas and brought it into the, to the remainder of the camp he did with Ben and into the fight against Otto as he, you know, stayed sharp and, you know, had a third fight this year. So I, I think they both get credit. So I, like I said, I'd be interested to see what Anthony's perspective is and what he decides to do. He's going to get stick as they say, probably either way. Yeah. Cause on the one hand, if he, if he doesn't go back to Derek, it's like, you know, you're ditching a guy that, that kind of rebuilt you for uh, after your you know rough losses. And if he ditches Ben, you're like, what are you doing? You just ditched the guy that, you know, was the guy in your corner for what was a really super performance and a very solid victory. So it's a good problem to have, I guess. I mean, you know, I don't think you can go wrong either way. Ben and Derek are both outstanding trainers and have been for a number of years. So, you know, good luck to them figuring that out. 
And just as we move on to look at potentially what's next for Asia, I know we talked about the IBF route, um, and I know Tyson Fury has got his hands sore on February 17th, um, not just once, but twice of Alexander Usyk. But that fight is always going to be there, and it's fight that's something that's always going to entertain the fans. We don't know how this fight with, with Usyk will go, but do you feel like the gap uh, where sort of, you, you so talked about this fight this time last year, people would probably say, you know, Fury would easily, Fury would beat him. Um, Fury coming off a, a subpar performance against Ngannou. When you look at that fight now as a marketing and potentially sort of a, as a competitiveness, do you feel like the gap is sort of closing down a little bit when it comes to Fury? Yeah, because you're as good as your last fight. I mean, that's just the bottom. That's yeah. not just in, in boxing. That's in, in I think, life. Your last, you know, if you're comparing to whatever else is going on in your life, your, your last endeavor in that situation is going to be compared to the next one. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not unreasonable to say, okay, Fury, you know, looked obviously not too good when he had the fight with Nagano and, and he was a guy making his professional boxing debut, however decorated and outstanding he was as a uh, mixed martial arts fighter. And Otto Valin is certainly a more accomplished boxer than, than Nagano is. And uh, Josh will look really good against him, but you know, every fight is different. They still have differing styles and the matchup would be different. I tend to think uh, that, that uh, a Tyson Fury would take a Joshua much more seriously than he was yeah. taking Nagano. I'm not saying he didn't take Nagano seriously at all, but I don't think he trained a lot in terms of seriousness yeah. for that fight. You could tell by his conditioning, just the way he looked, you know, that's just, I guess that's human nature. I think he would know that there's going to be more at stake against a Joshua because they are the two top British heavyweights of the time, two top heavyweights in the world, frankly, of the era, really. Uh, and so, yeah, if he's going to take that more serious, so I think he'd be more ready for that. And Joshua, you know, is going to take that fight seriously. Who knows if that's going to happen? But, you know, unfortunately, it's going to be, if it does, if it never does happen, like you just said, it's probably at least a year off because uh, Fury is going to be tied up with Alexander Usyk for the next couple of fights. Uh, and and they're probably not going to fight more than twice next year. So I'm not even thinking about that. Let them go do their thing. The Wilder fight is, I don't say it's never going to happen, but it, it, it won't be next, I wouldn't think. And so Joshua will go on a different path, whether it's, Again, I, I was sort of just joking about the Nagano fight, but I guess it's yeah, conceivable. It's possible, yeah. But then you have the real possibility of Hergovich for the vacant IBF title and and uh, and any other heavyweight. Look, here's the here's what it also comes down to. If the Saudis, who are bankrolling all these big events, uh, the General Entertainment Authority and Turkey Alashiki, who runs that, and decides how to spend the money, they can buy any fight that they want. Yeah. So if they say to Joshua and, and Eddie Hearn, we'd like to see joshua against hergovic who we've now had on uh, this card and they have a deal with him for other fights they pay tremendous amounts of money that'll be the fight if they say we'd like to see joshua versus you you know maybe they'll make that fight i mean they can yeah. buy any fight they want they have the money and they're not afraid to spend it so i think a lot of it's going to come down to what is their appetite for whatever fight they want Absolutely, definitely. And just wanted to list off sort of a couple more from the card. And um, we did see sure. Daniel Dubois stop Jarrell Miller um, in a, a a brave comeback for for Dubois after the Usyk fight. Um, sort of, what was your thought, thoughts on that on that fight as it, as it came in? Well, number one, that was a good, entertaining fight. If you were, if you, that was a big part of why the pay per view turned out to be good because it was a fun fight to watch. It was you know highly entertaining. Uh, and and I have to be honest, I was impressed by Dubois because I thought that uh, eventually he was going to get run over by Gerald Miller. Not because I think Gerald Miller is some great uh, heavyweight, and I'm not really that big of a fan of his. I just looked at the styles, the way that, that Daniel has conducted himself in certain fights. Uh, you know, he did quit against Usyk. I'm not. I'm not saying that like to use the word quit as a negative. I'm just using it as a fact. Yeah. 
He went down on a jab and stayed on his knee while he was looking at the referee. In the context of professional boxing at the highest level, that's typically not what happens. So he even said himself after the fight, I had to prove to myself I was a real fighter, that I could overcome adversity. I'm paraphrasing. And I did that, and I'm proud of myself. And you know what? He has every right to be proud of himself. He did a hell of a job against a tough customer. I know Gerald maybe wasn't in, uh, you know, hadn't been in the ring too much over the last few years for obvious reasons with his constant failing of drug tests. Uh, and he wasn't in the greatest shape, of course, tonight. But he came to fight. You know, he showed, you know, pretty good stamina, good shin, threw a lot of punches also. And uh, and Daniel overcame some hard moments. He got tagged a few times in that fight. So, yeah. And he was outweighed by, like, literally almost 100 pounds. So yeah. all that together, you know, Daniel Dubois should be happy with himself. He should celebrate this victory. But he also should not let it go to his head because Gerald Miller is not Philip Hergovich. He's not Anthony Joshua. He's not even Deontay Wilder. He's not a top elite heavyweight. Um, yeah. But he puts himself in a great position because he won an exciting fight. I'm sure he proved to a lot of people that were down on him or negative <clears throat> about the way that the fight against Usyk ended and all the carrying on about the the uh, the fake low blow or the fake that yeah. it was a real low blow, but that was a fake re- legal punch, yeah. I should say. Uh, and so he's in he's in line to fight pretty much anybody. There's no protecting Daniel Dubois. Find the biggest best fight. Uh, you know, I'd like to see uh, Zhang Jalei get involved in some of these fights. Also, yeah. he's got the interim title of the WBO. He was like the one like sort of top name that never really was, you know, uh, uh, you know, discussed or came up much on, on, uh, with this show, but I'm sure he'll be back in the mix with some of these guys. Frank Warren still has, uh, you know, future fights with him. So he'll get himself in the mix. He may, maybe he's a guy that they, that they try to match up with Dubois or something like that. Yeah. That's a fight Frank can make pretty easily for that WBO interim title. Who knows? Absolutely. And just another one from me, um, Dimitri Bivol boxing against Lyndon Arthur to a, to a quite comfortable, uh, decision. Um, what did you sort of make of that performance? Another sort of, decision from from Bivol. I think it was more than comfortable. He won every single round. It was 120 yeah. to 107 on all three scorecards, and uh, that was the right score because uh, Lyndon Arthur has a good heart. He tried, and, uh, you know, he, he did the best he could, as he said, and and uh, he just lost all the rounds. I mean, he just – it's uh, as I was saying when the fight was made and then a lot of the conversation in the preview is that Lyndon Arthur is a good light heavyweight. Dimitri Bivol has got Hall of Fame-level ability. He's a pound-for-pound fighter. He's one of the best boxers in the entire world. And, uh, you know, he's a tough uh, opponent to defeat, uh, you know, whoever's in the weight class. Uh, and so he went and did what he could. And, and you know, I think people would have maybe liked to get the knockout. He almost had him there in the 11th round. He dropped him. He was, you know, very, very close to getting a stoppage in round 12. The referee was like, literally, I felt like about a split second away yeah. from stopping the fight. And Linden was able to just drop an uppercut. And uh, basically, you know, the referee stopped what he was doing and didn't come in at that moment because he saw that he was throwing back. Uh, but, but this was, uh, you know, it was just to sort of like get back in the ring. He'd been out for 13 months. He, he won every single round, but obviously he's got a multi-fight agreement with the Saudis. The idea here is I won and we're going to make the, the better be a fight. If he beats Callum Smith, Eddie Hearn, of course, was saying, well, I'm like, I think Callum's going to knock him out. And honestly, if Callum Smith beats better be he'll deserve and warrant a fight against yeah. people. But uh, so that would be fine. I'm sure the, that they'll, they'll want to pay for it. And if it's better be that's of course the fight that everybody has looked forward to for a long time. They both had titles for a number of years. And uh, the undisputed title in any weight class is always the biggest fight, and that would be a tremendous battle. You have the great, you know, again, if it's if it's better Biev, it's the absolute pure punching power, yeah. and just you know uh, march forward kind of opponent that that he is compared to the very outstanding technical skills and that that very uh, outstanding jab and and just uh, you know everything that's on point in terms of the the technical aspect of things. You know, that's a good style matchup. So, and if it's Calvin Smith. You know, he can bring some of those things to the table, maybe not to the level of punching power, 
uh, or ferocity of an Arthur Better BF. But, uh, you know, I'm down for either one of them. And uh, I'd, I'd like to see there be, you know, the, if you get to the point where you're a champion, as long as Billville has been, he's, this is, was his 11th defense. Yeah. And if you're the winner of Better BF against, uh, of, uh, against Callum Smith, and you've got three of the titles, you want the biggest fight. Yeah. And the Saudis will pay the biggest money. The fans want to see that fight. I say bring it on, whoever it is, whether it's Smith or Better BF. For sure, mate. I think everyone would definitely want to see that fight. Um, what about your saw... boy Opatai on that card? What about him? Oh, we I was about just him? about to mention him. Oh, mate, 100%. Listen, his his stock has risen and risen this year. I mean, he had obviously the statement win against Maris Bradis. Um, and to be honest, not many people really knew. Everyone knows how good that win is. But when it comes to sort of the wider boxing audience, no one really knew how good Opatai was. He comes to England. Um, knocks out Jordan Thompson and then he knocks out Ellis Zorro with a ferocious one-punch knockout and as I say I'm very very excited he's one of my favorite fighters at the moment I'm sure he's uh, very very impressed with that performance too he's a real joy to watch he's he, you know look I knew about him for a long time because he was had a big yeah. amateur career he was an Olympian uh, as a very young guy and uh you know it just took him a little time to get to the point where he could get to a title fight and then he had that tremendous battle against Bradis where he won uh, the belt and the lineal title and had the jaw injury, unfortunately, he showed a lot of heart and balls yeah. in that fight by sucking it up and fighting through that and scoring, you know, that kind of win with that kind of heart in a very action packed fight. You know, both guys uh, fought very well in that fight. He just happened to be the guy that come out on top by a, by a little bit, uh, but it was a real good win for him. And then unfortunately he was out for what, 13, 14 months. And then yeah, like you said, just... he came over to the UK and had the win over Thompson. And, and I was glad that they put him on this card. You know, it's unfortunate that they took away his title for stupid reasons that just don't make any sense, no matter how you slice it. And, uh, you know, like he said, I'm not I can't I can't not take this fight. He's making a career high payday. You know, and as you say, you can't go take your belt and go to the grocery store or go pay your mortgage bill or, you know, go pay your phone bill. So he had to take this fight. And uh, he, it's 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 uh, a spectacular knockout. I mean, Sora was undefeated and he didn't just win. He won in the most spectacular manner you can do yeah. in boxing. And a one-punch knockout in the first round against a guy who I thought, I'm not saying I thought that Zoro was going to win, but I've seen how Zoro fight. He's a competent professional, yeah. not a bum or anything like that. Blitzed him. One giant shot and out. That's all she wrote. And so Opataya should have a great holiday. And I'm sure that when the Saudis continue to do these types of cards, uh, we'll see him, I would think, maybe he'll even be back on the next one, uh, perhaps even in February. You know, that whole Tyson Fury and Usyk undercard, there's different Sparring names that have come up, but it's not done yet. So maybe he'll be back after having less than one round in the ring. Definitely. I don't think people would argue with that. Um, another one I just wanted to quickly touch on, we did see Devin Haney on the Zone broadcast today. He oh. talked about, you know, Ryan, Ryan Garcia looking potentially next for him. Um, excited for that, that, that matchup of Ryan Haney, obviously Ryan High after the Pro Grey victory. Listen, I mean, if you take a look at the guys who are in that weight class, the big names, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a fight. They're both on the zone. Um, I had an interview with Oscar De La Hoya, who is Ryan's promoter, a couple of days ago and wrote about it on my uh, Substack newsletter at Fight Freaks Unite. And Oscar was talking about how he and Eddie had spoken on the phone and both had said they're interested. Their fighters are interested in the fight. Devin said it on uh, the broadcast, uh, reiterating what he had said on his social media. Brian, Ryan Garcia has said it numerous times. Uh, Ryan, when he says it, you know, he tries to pursue those fights. That's how he basically willed the Tank Davis fight into happening. So I have no doubt that the promoters and the two fighters are all on board to try to make it happen. Obviously you have to come up with what's the proper business deal to make. So it makes sense for everybody in terms of the finances. But I, I think that fight's going to be next because it's a big pay-per-view fight and the other big names for Devin to fight uh, uh, and for, and for Ryan, like for example, 
top rank and Oscar and Bob Arum and Oscar talked about trying to do a Tifimo Lopez fight for Ryan that would have perhaps been as soon as February. And for whatever reason, Tifimo Lopez said some crazy stuff about how he was yeah. only offered a million and a half dollars, which I don't know who offered that to him. Oscar was like, I didn't offer that to him. And I know that it wasn't top rank because, you know, his own team says his minimum in his contract is bigger than a million and a half dollars. So bottom line is he's going to fight uh, Jermaine Ortiz in February. So the Ryan Garcia fight is off the table. Haney and Haney's father, Bill, you know, who's done a great job training him and managing him and all that. They were calling out Tank Davis, who has just not shown any real interest in the match. So, okay, that's fine. So what's the next biggest fight? If you're not fighting Tank and you're not fighting Tiafimo, I mean, Ryan Garcia is as big or bigger than some of those fights. So, I mean, I think that from a commercial standpoint, as much as I would love to see the Lopez fight, Haney against Ryan is a bigger fight commercially. Yeah. Tank, of course, is the bigger one than both of them. But so, so that's the reason. I mean, you know, they're both in this business to make legacy and make money. And that's a fight that can help legacy and help money. So make money. So I see no reason why that won't happen. I do believe that we'll see Tank, uh, not Tank, but Ryan Garcia challenging him for his title, WBC 140-pound title, probably in the first, you know, I guess maybe four months of next year. I I, I think it's, you know, I won't say it's definite, but it feels like a, as big fights go, it, relatively speaking, this will be a relatively easy one to make. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, for sure. And it's definitely one I'm excited for. Um, and just just as I do close this off, um, I did actually want to mention this to you, obviously, being from that side of the pond. Um, we did have the unfortunate use yesterday of Larry Merchant in critical condition. And after oh, I'm glad you bring that up. So I did want to bring it up. And obviously, as you sort of echo me, we do sort of send condolences to Larry there and hopefully well, a speedy recovery. So here's the thing. Just to, 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 to nip it in the bud, I know what the TMZ report said. It was overblown. Yes, Larry okay. is in the hospital. Yes, Larry. And I, I don't know what day you're going to post this. He'll, he's yeah. going to probably be there for another day or two. During the Bivol fight, matter of fact, it was like as Bivol was getting knock, was knocking down uh, his opponent in, in Lyndon Arthur, I got a phone call from Larry's son-in-law oh, because he, you know, I'm, I've known his son-in-law for you know, many, many years. And he knows how close Larry and I are. And I sent Larry when I read the DMZ report, because I just talked to Larry like two weeks ago, I had yeah. sent him a text saying, listen, Larry, I don't know what's going on. I hope you're okay. If you're, if you're able to text or if you have your phone, you know, please just text me back. You're doing okay or whatever. I didn't hear back from him. I had texted him, you know, yesterday about that, uh, which was, I guess on, on a uh, Friday. And so while I'm watching the Bebo fight, his son-in-law called me and I talked to him uh, through like the 11th and 12th round of the Bivol fight. Yeah. And he was saying, look, yes, Larry's in the hospital. No, he was not in critical condition. No, he wasn't yeah. in a coma. No, he just, you know, he went, you know, I'm not going to divulge Larry's personal medical yeah, information, course, course. but he had an issue. He's in the hospital. And uh, from what his son-in-law was saying, he's doing okay. And, you know, I joked with his son-in-law who was there with him. I didn't speak to Larry, but he was sitting with him in the hospital. I said, you tell Larry when he's feeling up to it, you know, give me a call and I'll fill him in on all the results of what happened on this card with, uh, you know, with uh, with uh, Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua, because I know he was interested in what was happening. So I was very, very, very relieved to hear that uh, that that the, the news report was not was it was it was true that he was hospitalized. But the, the severity of the reason why was vastly overblown. And, uh, you know, he actually was telling me that when the when the medical people came to take him uh, in the ambulance, and he was like, you know, fighting them off. Like he was able, you know, oh, he wow. was loose and able to do his thing. You know, he was fine to go to the hospital. He didn't need to be like, you know, like cared for, like he's dying. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. you know, listen, if you know Larry Merchant, like I know Larry Merchant for almost 25 years, whatever happens to my man, he ain't going down without a fight. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he was, uh, 
you know, even in the hospital, he's, he's a little, uh, I think, kind of annoyed with the attention, to be quite honest with you. But I was very, very, very relieved that he's doing okay. And I would think hopefully in the next couple of days he'll be out of the hospital. Absolutely. It's definitely positive news um, for sure. And as we do approach the Christmas season, um, it's festive season. People are going to have time at home to spend and they shouldn't have their, their time. Their time home should be spent reading your newsletter, listen to your podcast. So if you do want to give it a plug, feel free. And uh, yeah, where can we find you, mate? Yeah, you'd go on uh, on uh, your internet and in, in your internet browser and go to uh, danrayfield.substack.com. It's the Fight Freaks Unite newsletter. And as I've said to you, and I appreciate the plug, it's uh, plenty of free material, but I have a lot of people that also want a little extra or a lot of extra actually and get all the uh, the stuff behind the paywall for a nominal fee. Helps me in it. You know what? That's how I'm making my living. And it's uh, it's been a labor of love, but it's been uh, it's been it's been a great experience working on it. And uh, I appreciate it. And I'm glad uh, that you check it out. And I hope everybody else uh, gives our podcast a listen at the Big Fight Weekend and also checks out the newsletter. Absolutely. The link Which is, by the way, be... where they found out all the details <laughs> about the deal that was made between Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder that my man Eddie Hearn denied. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, I just wanted to say it's been really, really good to catch up with you this year. I'm sure we'll be catching up uh, sort of at the start of 2024 as we look forward to boxing. Um, but as I said, many, many numerous topics. It's been a good year for boxing. So I always appreciate taking the time to speak to me. And uh, yeah, let's uh, catch up in 2024, mate. Have a good Christmas and a happy new year, mate. You too. Thank you, Lewis. And I say that to everybody that watches Boxing Social. Top man. Thank you, mate. Cheers, mate. Sports Social Podcast Network.